Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. No icing. For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. The Boston Celtics are NBA champions once again. Cash is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Unreal. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the second episode of the 617 Sports Podcast. I'm your host. It's been a little, uh, about 10 days or so since the last episode, and a lot's happened in the world. A lot's happened in the world of sports, in the world of Boston sports. Um, And obviously, America's been going through election season, always a fun time. Uh, As you know, every episode starts with the most important 90 seconds of your day. Uh, Gonna give you a rundown of all the news in the sports world, not just pertaining to Boston. Uh, because we like to be a little unbiased here. We like to be a little, uh, you know, a little national, you know, news news outlet for about 90 seconds. That's all I can handle of talking about other teams. So uh, to begin, most important 90 seconds of your day right now, November 7th, Joe Biden is uh, president-elect. He is going to be the 46th president of the United States. That's all the politics we're going to talk for this episode. Going on to Major League Baseball, Alex Cora hired for the Boston Red Sox. Tony La Russa hired for the Chicago White Sox. Both of those managers had previously been with those organizations, so it looks like we've got a little bit of a reunion going on there. The MLB has decided to not punish Justin Turner. Uh, famously, Dodgers uh, third baseman runs out of the clubhouse knowing he's COVID positive uh, to celebrate with his team the winning of the World Series. Got a lot of backlash, got a lot of uh, you know bad publicity for baseball, but they've decided to not punish Justin Turner. Mookie Betts is your is an MVP finalist along with Freddie Freeman and Manny Machado in the National League. Your AL MVP finalists are Jose Abreu, DJ LeMahieu, and Jose Ramirez. Uh, and that is about it for Major League Baseball. In the NFL, the Raiders are the first team to lose a draft pick due to failure to adhere to the COVID-19 protocols. They are losing a sixth-round draft pick. Christian McCaffrey is set to return for the Carolina Panthers this weekend after suffering a leg injury and going on IR. Uh, San Francisco 49er gets the injury bug once again. George Kittle and Jimmy Garoppolo are both expected to miss significant time. Jimmy Garoppolo's season could be over depending on his uh, if he needs surgery or not. And in the NBA, the draft is set for November 18th. We're about 11 days away from the draft, just to give you guys a reminder on that. And the NBA Players Association approved the December 22nd start date for the 2020-2021 season. And in the NHL, there is no news. Uh, free agency has been going on. A couple people have been changing teams, but they have no uh, news about their start date. Uh, it was originally for December 4th. That has obviously been pushed back um, due to financial reasons, so... That is it. That was the most important 90 seconds of your day. Everything else from here on out is going to be about Boston. So in November, any other year besides 2020, we'd have the Celtics playing. We would have the Boston Bruins playing. 
and we would have the Patriots playing. The Patriots would probably be uh, leaders in the AFC East and making a real run at the number one overall seed in the AFC. Uh, Like I said, the Bruins and the Celtics would be in the infancy of their season. There'd be a lot of excitement, a lot of expectations, uh, and and none of that's happening right now. You know, basketball and hockey are sidelined for uh, the foreseeable future, and the Patriots are certainly not uh, leading the AFC East. They are actually uh, in, I believe, second to last place in the division behind both the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. So uh, as much of a weird year that 2020's been, it continues uh, into November. It's very odd to think about only having one sport to watch for the better part of the winter, or at least the better part of the fall. Uh, but that's where we are. We've only got the Patriots, and they have not been putting a good product on the field. But to start this episode, I'd like to talk about the one team that will, even in a regular year, wouldn't be playing right now. Even without COVID, they wouldn't be playing right now. And that's the Boston Red Sox. Uh, despite usually falling into uh, you know, the shadows this time of year, like I said, they'd be the only team not playing. The Red Sox have actually made a, a splash in the news uh, the last couple of days. Uh, to start, Alex Cora rehired as the Red Sox manager for the foreseeable future. He uh, famously won the World Series his first year in 2018, notching the club's best uh, single-season record with 108 wins. He follows that up with a dismal 84-win season in 2019, missing the playoffs, uh, something the Red Sox are used to doing after winning the World Series. We've we've seen that happen, especially after the 2013 World Series. Uh and that's where I want to start. I want to start with rehiring Alex Cora because uh, that is that was the biggest question mark going into this season. What were the Red Sox going to do at the managerial position? And they were barred from speaking to uh, Mr. Cora and, and anyone that was suspended for the Houston Astros uh, cheating scandal until after the World Series. So... A lot of people expected that as soon as the final out was recorded between the Rays and the Dodgers, you would immediately hear Alex Cora back with the Red Sox. And that didn't happen. Uh, And it took a lot of doubt. It added a lot of doubt on whether or not he'd return. There became some, uh, you know, other names being brought up of finalists. I think there was a list of five that then got whittled down to three and then two. And the final two were obviously Alex Cora and Sam Fold. He... He was a assistant in the Phillies organization. He played ball in Tampa Bay. He's a, a native of New Hampshire, so definitely a candidate. Um, but the Red Sox ultimately go with Alex Cora. And as a Red Sox fan, I understand if this decision feels a little weird. You know, uh, Alex Cora was investigated and ultimately faced punishment for his role in one of the biggest cheating scandals Major League Baseball has ever seen. That being said, I think the image around Cora and his role in this has been greatly distorted. Greatly distorted. And I'm going to go back to uh, when we were finding out about what was going on in Houston. Because this podcast didn't exist back then. It it was the news story uh, beginning of of 2020 before we had all this other stuff going on. It, It was the Astros cheating scandal. It was the number one story. It was dominating, you know, the the news cycles and the sports world. You know, we had the NBA, we had the NHL going in the playoffs during uh, the NFL, and yet everyone was talking about baseball. And oh, it seems like a, a weird concept, but they were because this Astros cheating scandal was 
unprecedented. We never heard about it. And during their investigation, the Major League Baseball decided to give the players full immunity. Full immunity just to come clean and detail what was going on. That was pretty stupid. I'm not going to lie. I don't need to go all the way back and have a whole episode dedicated to the Astros, but I didn't agree with that decision by Rob Manfred and the investigation team. I thought players should be held accountable because they are cheating just as much as anyone else, but again, not going down that road, but still, players were given full immunity, so they started detailing what happened. And during these discussions, the players advocated that, or, or not advocated, but these players uh, disclosed the information that Alex Cora was painted as this mastermind behind the cheating scandal. He was, you know, the one who orchestrated it. He was kind of undermining, you know, A.J. Hinch, the manager, uh, attempts to, to thwart this cheating. You know, it, it basically made it seem like Alex Cora was imposing his will on the Astros, forcing them to cheat against their wills. And that's just blasphemy. You know, when you give players full immunity, of course they're going to throw the guy under the bus who's no longer there. The players aren't going to come out and say A.J. Hinch was cheating. They aren't going to say that, you know, they themselves were cheating. Of course, look, Alex Cora was gone. He was, a, he was the bench coach of the Houston Astros in 2017. 2018, he wins the World Series with the Red Sox. And then in 2020, they're investigating. So, of course, he's the guy that's no longer there. He's the easy scapegoat for the players. And I think it was just so skewed in the national media how Alex Cora was portrayed in all of this. I don't think Alex Cora was forcing Jose Altuve and, and Carlos Correa and, and Alex Bregman to, to cheat. Uh, that, that wasn't what happened. I think Alex Cora was a, came to the Houston Astros in 2017. The cheating was already in place, per some reports. He's there for one season. It's their most historic season. They win the World Series. And then he leaves for the Red Sox, and the cheating continues after he left. So how is this man the mastermind when the cheating happens before he's there and after he's gone? I think the most damning thing for Alex Cora is the fact that he was part of the organization during their most successful season when cheating. You know, If Alex Cora was the bench coach in 2016... And, and is gone by 2017 and the cheating scandals come out, they're not going to look at him that much because he's not part of this World Series that's now been tainted. I think the fact that Alex Cora was the bench coach the year they win the World Series is the only reason why this story is even remotely interesting. Uh, so anyways, Alex Cora painted as a cheater. They actually start to investigate the Red Sox. They find nothing. It's, it's a mere slap on the wrist. There's no suspensions for anything going on with the Red Sox. The only reason why Alex Cora missed the 2020 season was because of his role in the Astros cheating scandal. Everyone needs to get that straight. Whatever happened in Boston, MLB said there's not enough information here for us to accuse you of anything. So that being said, I understand it's weird still. This guy was actually suspended for cheating, and now we welcome him back. So if you're a fan and you don't like this move, I understand. I completely understand. I think, like I said, the the importance of Alex Cora in the cheating scandal is so overblown. But at the end of the day, it's an asterisk that will always appear on his resume. And if you don't want to have that kind of scrutiny uh, on your team anymore, 
then and, and you just wish we moved on from him i get that i still i still love the move i still love the rehiring and hopefully i can uh make you fans that are a little bit critical of the red sox for rehiring cora settle your nerves a little bit make you a little less angry you know it's a very tense time everyone needs to relax okay just relax what alex cora did in the red sox did for the red sox in two seasons is remarkable you know we all know about the you know first season as a red sox manager you know luck that you have alex alex core won the world series his first year managing the red sox john farrell won the world series his first year managing the red sox and terry francona won the world series his first year managing the red sox so uh there is something to be said about a first-time manager doing well but ron renicky certainly didn't win the world series last year Bobby Valentine certainly didn't win the World Series in 2012, uh, his season with the Red Sox. So um, it's a it's a fun story. It's a fun little fact that a lot of Red Sox first-time managers win. But uh, to be honest with you, the moves that Alex Cora made, he deserves all the credit that he gets for that championship. Just go back to uh, where we were in 2017. Just gone absolutely annihilated by the Astros. Again, they were cheating. We don't need to go down that. But still, you see Chris Sale get smoked. David Price continues his playoff woes, even with the Red Sox uh, losing. It was a series where you never felt like you had a chance. And you're left with, what more can we do? We lose David Ortiz. You know, Mookie Betts had an MVP caliber season in 2016. He kind of takes a step back. And there's no real free agent that you can bring in anymore you you've signed to you, you traded for a pitcher in chris sale you you signed the biggest pitching contract to david price you're supposed to be winning and you're not you're not able to get out of the alds for the second straight season that's where we were in 2018 and 2017 in 2018 alex core re-energized the franchise he's making these decisions he's having a steal more where we're using our bullpen in different ways we're using our starters in the bullpen especially during the playoffs in ways we hadn't seen before you know it seems like every time he taps a guy to go pinch hit that guy hits a home run i mean just look at the world series right uh you have mitch moreland in a crucial game four pinch hit hit an absolute moonshot hasn't landed yet to bring the red sox within one run uh he taps uh, Eduardo Nunez in I think game two game one or two says go pinch hit he hits a three-run home run uh, and again uh, the way he used Sale the way he used Avaldi and David Price in the in the postseason as both you know starting pitchers but also key bullpen guys I mean Chris Sale closed out the World Series you know if if something goes wrong and we lose game five Chris Sale was supposed to be your next day starter and he's out there on the bump in the bottom of the ninth. A gutsy decision by Alex Cora, and it worked. So 2018, phenomenal. Phenomenal. Just looking at the record, though, 2019 was a failure, right? You won 84 games, like I already mentioned. You missed the playoffs, and it seems like the uh, World Series hangover once again exists for the Red Sox. It happened after we won in. 2013 and it looks like it's it's happened again in 2019 so 
what gets lost in that season is how Alex Cora took young players or you know uh, career underachievers and turns them into serious impact players. The way Alex Cora manages, the way the team loves him, cannot go unnoticed. It is the single greatest asset that he brings as a manager. His players buy into his system. They play hard for him. He's able to extrapolate the most out of them and ultimately uh, get a better product on the field. It's kind of Belichickian. Belichick can get the best out of less talented players. And I'm not saying that Alex Cora in, in 2018, you know, had all these holes, I mean, and was able to make these, you know, bums play like stars. No, he had a good roster. He had guys like, again, Price, Sale, Mookie Betts, um, you know, J.D. Martinez, you know, had career guys, that really great guys. But look at what he did in 2019 with guys like Ed, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. You know, Eduardo Rodriguez was this uh, fifth option. He wasn't really part of your 2018 run, especially with, you know, the midseason acquisition of Avaldi that year. Uh, people kind of just look at the Porcillo, Price, Sale, Avaldi as the pitchers that won you that World Series. And that's true. You know, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez played a, a minor role. In fact, his most mem- memorable playoff appearance was when in game uh, in game four, Yasiel Puig hits an absolute bomb and you see Eduardo Rodriguez slam his glove down. 2019, he won 19 games. Easily the most on the pitching staff for the Red Sox that year. A year where Chris Sale looks like he's frail. A year where David Price goes back to being unhappy, miserable, and uh, ultimately is once again just proving that he can't handle the pressure of Boston sometimes. Uh, Evaldi gets injured again. The only guy you could count on that season was Eduardo Rodriguez, who up until that point in his career could never string together a full season of really quality starts. And Alex Cora brought that out of him. It didn't happen in 2018, but it happened in 2019. You know, and I think that gives a lot of Alex Cora. If you look back, he was extremely hard on Eduardo Rodriguez. Listen to some of the post-game uh, interviews with Cora where uh, um, Rodriguez might not have had good starts. I mean, he would, he would openly ridicule him uh, not in ways that would be you know damaging to Eduardo Rodriguez's psyche at all it wasn't like he was saying this guy sucks or whatever but he was hard on him a lot harder than he was on any of the other Red Sox pitchers and again he elevates his game he's a 19 game winner look at um, third baseman Rafael Devers a young young player he looks like he's 13 years old even still he wasn't an, uh, an instrumental part of your 2018 World Series run. He wasn't really even an everyday starter that season. I know it's hard to think about when you look back and you say, oh, we had Devers that year. He wasn't really a part of that championship run. Uh, in fact, like I said, they were pinch hitting Eduardo Nunez for him, and Eduardo Nunez had more production in just a couple appearances than you had with Devers. And that was a guy, again, much like Rodriguez, Alex Cora would hammer him in post-game conferences. He needs to be better defensively. He needs to be a better hitter, be a little bit more diligent in his uh, approach to the plate. And what happens in 2019? He explodes. He's hitting doubles everywhere. He's slugging percentage through the roof. Home runs uh, bubble astronomically. 
and he looks like he's a cornerstone piece of your future uh, going forward. That doesn't happen without Alex Cora. I think the way Cora manages, he can get to these guys on a personal level. Cora was a player. He's still relatively young, and he knows what it's like to to struggle because he wasn't a great player in his career. So I think that having this season where you know there's COVID and it's 60 games and Cora's now been blackballed for at least a season, you know it, it's going to be kind of weird bringing him back. But what he did for some players on your team, again, people that are going to be part of your future, right? They're not the big name free agent. He doesn't. He didn't make Chris Sale better. He didn't really make David Price better. Now he might have used them pretty well when they were in the dugout. I mean, in the bullpen and stuff like that. But look at the way guys like uh, Rodriguez and Devers have emerged as serious players. And I and I know Rodriguez didn't play this year because of COVID and his heart and everything like that. Hopefully he's okay. But Alex Cora was able to get these guys to a level where other managers might not have. You know, under John Farrell, Rodriguez wasn't that good. And it seems like he's going to be a part of your future. He, he's older, I understand that. But, you know, he's he, first, who do you have on this on this pitching staff? You know, uh, you, you traded away Price, Porcillo, left in free agency Chris Sale just had Tommy John surgery so who do you even have besides you know Nathan Avaldi? You, you just let Martin Perez walk uh, we'll get to that later but I think if you're going to have any success in 2021 it's going to have to be from Eduardo Rodriguez and I think bringing back Cora is going to help him you know you lo- obviously you lost Mookie Betts uh, you're poised to lose Jackie Bradley Jr. and I get it Jackie's not great on offense but who's going to be your juggernaut in the in the lineup you know jd martinez had an okay 20 uh 2018 2019 and he sucked last year he hit 213 all right i just looked it up so devers is going to be that young guy devers excels under alex cora so I'm excited to see Cora back, and I think it's the way he develops these young players that are going to be why the Red Sox brought him back. Listen, everyone was like, is Heim Bloom going to make the decision? Is John Henry going to force Alex Cora back into the mix, and Heim Bloom's not going to want him? I don't know. I would hope that when the Red Sox bring in a new president of baseball operations, they ask his input on who do you want to be the manager. And it seems like they did a real thorough interview process they didn't just sign Cora the second they could right you, you Justin Turner's running on the field with a you know without his mask with COVID celebrating the World Series and it wasn't like the next thing that dropped is Red Sox bring back Alex Cora no they waited a very long time in fact the Detroit Tigers hired AJ Hinch who was suspended from the uh, Houston Astros scandal before the Red Sox brought back Cora so I, I think that the Red Sox wanted to not just bring back Cora and it was the plan all along. I think they said, listen, we're going to interview other guys. This isn't the Dave Dombrowski run Red Sox. This isn't 2018 all over again. You know, we're going to interview other people. We're going to listen to other candidates and we're ultimately going to make an unbiased decision. And I applaud them for that. You know, some people out there in the Boston sports media are using the uh, duration of time it took to you know formally hire 
Korra as some, you know, reason to believe there's turmoil inside the Red Sox, you know, front office, that that Haim is getting, you know, uh, forced into people he doesn't want uh, in the organization. And, and I just think that's that's so childish to, to accuse. You know, the Red Sox uh, wanted to make sure they hired the right guy, and it wasn't a shoe-in that it was going to be Alex Cora. In fact, I would be more upset if the Cora news came out as soon as the Astros, I mean, as soon as the Dodgers won the World Series. I want them to, uh, to interview other candidates. I want them to look at all possible options, not just bring back the guy from two years ago and get the band back together from 20, uh, 2018. So Cora has the cheating scandal, and that'll never leave him. But he's shown that he can develop young players in your organization. He's proved that he understands the analytics of baseball, but he's not going to be like, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays where they're pulling, Tony, uh, um, they're pulling Blake Snell in in Game Six of the World Series because oh, you can't face the lineup three times as a pitcher. We can't let that happen. You know, he's not going to let analytics, you know, ruin the game, but he's going to use them to enhance the game. So not he's he's got that form. He can speak the analytics language but he's certainly not going to let it dominate his decision-making. He has an incredible ability to relate to guys in the locker room. He is one of the best decision-makers when it comes to uh, pinch hitting and, and you know situational approaches to batting that I've ever seen. Like I said, literally, he tells a guy to go up there and hit, and it's a home run. I can, again, point to it in the World Series, let alone the entire season. So... Look, if you think Alex Cora deserved another chance to manage, despite the whole 2017 scandal, if you said, listen, he deserves another chance, then why wouldn't you want that to be in Boston? Because you're starting to get hypocritical if you say, well, I think he should still manage, but I don't want him here. Why don't you want him here? He wasn't suspended for anything he did in Boston. All he's done is bring you a championship. And oh, by the way... You have young players on your team that love him. I mean, even a guy like Xander Bogarts, he's not a young player. He's actually the leader of your team, has an opt-out coming in like two years or something like that. If Alex Corey is going to keep a guy like Xander Bogarts on the Red Sox, getting him to buy into our system, you want Alex Corey to be your manager. So, listen, I like the move. I think Cora is uh, good for the team, good for the young guys. And I really hope that he's able to just turn the page from everything that happened in 2017. He was painted as this mastermind. He was painted as, you know, Dr. Evil there in the Astros uh, locker room. And I just don't think that's what happened. I think the players had immunity. They blamed the guy that was no longer there in hopes of saving their own manager. Uh, That ultimately didn't happen. Cora served his time away from baseball. And the Red Sox interviewed other candidates to uh, have a informed decision when making the pick for manager, and they ultimately brought him back. I don't think there's civil war between Heim Bloom and John Henry. I don't think uh, Alex Cora is the greatest cheater in the history of baseball, and he's going to now plague the Red Sox with cheating. No. I think Cora's going to come back. Get the most out of young guys. I'm not saying we're going to win the World Series again in 2021. I'm not saying that. Uh, Not with this roster. Not with this pitching staff. But I think that you're absolutely going to get 
uh, a bolstered amount of energy and excitement around the Red Sox, all because of your manager. And listen, the White Sox went out and hired Tony Larusa. The guy's in his 70s and hasn't managed in a decade. Is that who you want the Red Sox bringing in? Is that the guy that you think is going to bring you a championship? Because he's going back to Chicago. It's been 10 years since he's managed. And he's, oh yeah, like I said, 74. I'm sorry, but uh, I thought that was a horrible decision by the White Sox. And I am very glad the Red Sox didn't choose to go that route. You know, we saw what that was like with Bobby Valentine, a guy a little past his prime. I think Alex Cora isn't even in his prime, right? He, he managed for two years, won a World Series, and then he had some World Series hangover the year after. I think things are going to work out well with this signing. But moving on to more Red Sox news, J.D. Martinez opts in for the 2021 season. Gets, uh, I mean, again, he had a prorated salary in 2020 because of COVID, but he's due to make like $20 million, uh next year. So he's not coming off your books Uh and he also has another player option for 2022. And this shouldn't come as a surprise. He had a horrible 2020. He, Like I said earlier, he hit 213, his worst season ever as a Major League Baseball player. And it looks like the transition from the NL having the DH to going back to not having the DH might still happen i know with covid and the divisions were kind of all messed up so the national league had a dh for the entire season Uh, there was talks of having a universal dh and i think that will benefit a guy like jd martinez if 15 more teams are now going to be interested in him but i think for 2021 it makes sense for him to opt in from the red sox i don't love that i think he's aging he is a one-dimensional player he's going to do nothing for you on defense and uh, he's proven to be a little unengaged. I think the departure of Mookie Betts affected him. He mailed it in last year. He just took his prorated salary and said, I don't care anymore. Uh, They took away the video replay room, and and he was moaning about that all season. Like, dude, if you need to watch replays of of your previous bat, your previous at-bat during the game to be an effective hitter, that is alarm, fire alarms, like, are you cheating? Like, I think that is very suspicious, even as a Red Sox fan. So, like, you shouldn't go from hitting, like, well over 300 to barely cracking the Mendoza line, all because you don't have access to a video replay room. Like, that's alarming. Everyone clowns the Astros the way that Altuve, Correa, Bregman all had, like, career-worst years. J.D. Martinez had a career-worst year. It, it, it doesn't make me feel confident that he's going to all of a sudden go back to hitting 300 you're paying him 20 million dollars that guy needs to be a cornerstone player in your franchise and it seems like if he's not going to get his video replay room he's just gonna you know complain about it and hit 213 so i would have been perfectly fine if he opted out tested free agency or whatever but it looks like we're gonna have him stick around hopefully he's not a detriment to the team uh in other roster decision moves martin perez had a team option for 2021 the Red Sox declined that. Last season, he pitched 12 games and had a 4.5 ERA with 46 innings pitched and had, I believe, I'm sorry, uh, that's a lie. He had 46 strikeouts, uh, not 46 innings pitched. He had well, he had well uh, over 46 innings pitched. I think it was in the 60s. 
but he had a 4.5 ERA, played 12 games, 46 strikeouts. That's the stat line. I can barely read my own handwriting here. I'm sorry. Um, he wasn't great. I'm not saying he was the savior. I'm not saying he's going to be a Cy Young candidate or anything like that. But with an already depleted pitching staff, I think Martin Perez was a guy that you could keep around. I don't believe his contract was that much money. It was in the ballpark of $10 million. So there's a chance that the J.D. Martinez opting in forced the Red Sox to opt out of Perez. And again, he's not your ace. He's not even the number two. But if you bring back Chris Sale, you bring back Eduardo Rodriguez, who hopefully will repeat what he did in 2019, I think Perez is a solid third option. And you guys passed on him for nothing but money, proving that the Red Sox are not the team that they used to be. They're not the big spenders. They're not the... Uh, they're probably not going to try to lead the league in salary. And that's just where they are right now. They're resetting the the salary cap, and it's going to be a long time before we see them bringing in big-name free agents for big-name money, for uh, big-name money, for big for big money. And that's just, that's just where they're at. It's hard to wrap my head around why you would choose to not spend money when you can make your team better, but that's where the Red Sox are. So Alex Cora is in. J.D. Martinez is in, Martin Perez is out, and there probably won't be baseball until at least April. So that's it for the Red Sox. Uh, any other news comes out, we'll we'll touch on them. But I think that's pretty interesting, uh, like I said, to uh, wait two weeks until after the World Series, you bring in Alex Cora, and people are trying to paint that as some big suspicion, like, ooh, why did they wait so long? I don't know, to be diligent, to do their job properly, you know, see who else is out there. Just an idea. You know, my, I don't know. People try to, uh, where there's, people always try to make it seem like there's smoke and fire when maybe there's uh, nothing at all. So moving on to the only team that is playing, the New England Patriots are playing Monday night against the New York Jets at MetLife Stadium. And this is going to be the worst game you'll ever watch until we play the Jets again in December. Um, look at this red, this, Patriots season isn't pretty. It's unlike anything we've seen for the past 20 years, maybe outside of 2002. We're not in contention in our own division. We're not in contention for a wild card spot. And at this point, everyone's just saying tank. Try to get the highest draft pick you can get. Lose games. Trade away all your good players. And that's uncharted territory for the Red uh, for the Patriots and. That's going against everything that Bill Belichick stands for. The way I see it right now, you are in the middle of the you're in the middle of the transition from the past twenty year dynasty into uh, the dark ages of what happens when you hold on to players a little too long, you don't draft well, and now you're left with. Uh, a lot of holes on your roster you know the 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 Patriots had ample amounts of time to address replacing Rob Gronkowski at tight end they've had ample amount of time to understand that Tom Brady is going to be playing till he's in his 40s he's been extremely adamant about that 45 years old is the number he's been talking about excuse me and you either commit to him for that long or you send him out the door they tried to send him out the door, and there was a whole thing with Kraft, and they thought they had it win Jimmy Garoppolo. But let's be honest, Jimmy Garoppolo isn't making this team win 
five games, six games. They'd be lucky to do that this year, and Jimmy G isn't going to help them, you know, gain any more wins than what they'll already have with Cam Newton. I think that the Belichick's drafting over the last five to six years has been horrible. That's been the talk of the town. Everyone's been blasting Bill Belichick. I'm going to actually walk you through his last couple drafts, tell you who he's taken and who else has been on the board. Everyone else just says, oh, Belichick sucks at drafting. Well, I'm going to actually tell you why he sucks at drafting. We're going to go back to 2016. Patriots don't pick until the second round. 60th overall pick. They draft Cyrus Jones. Cornerback out of Alabama. He's not even in the league anymore. At pick number 62, cornerback James Bradbury was taken in 2016. Same draft, two picks later. That guy has 11 career interceptions. He's still playing in 2020 and already has three interceptions this year. You know, I'm not saying James Bradbury is a household name. I'm not saying he's the best corner in the game. But he's certainly producing more uh, in 2020 than Cyrus Jones is, and it seems like he's had a much better career. I'll get, I'll get to their other picks that year a little bit later because I want to move on. 2017, Patriots have the 83rd overall pick, third round. That's the first selection they make. They take Derek Rivers in his... Uh, several seasons since and he only has two and a half sacks in his career so that guy is a non-impact player third round pick number 83 two picks later the Patriots take uh, Antonio Garcia with the 85th overall pick that guy's not even in the league anymore so you pick your first two picks are 83 and 85 well who was taken 84 that's a reasonable question to ask right they've got two picks well who was taken in the middle Tampa Bay Buccaneers had that pick, number 84, in the 2017 NFL Draft. That's wide receiver Chris Godwin. He has a career 2,979 yards, 19 touchdowns. And, oh, by the way, is now playing with Tom Brady down in Tampa. He's had a couple injuries, I understand that, but almost 3,000 yards at a position that the that the Patriots need a ton of help at wide receiver that is just uncanny the fact that he falls in between the two draft picks you choose to take we're gonna go to 2018 now Patriots pick in the first round pick number 23 Isaiah Wynn offensive lineman Uh, he just blew his leg out I'm pretty sure he's not playing they pick again in the first round a rare two first round picks for the Patriots in a draft number 31 Sony Michelle so who's in between 23rd and 31? Good question. couple wide receivers that, again, a position you need a lot of help at. DJ Moore for the Carolina Panthers. Calvin Ridley for the Atlanta Falcons. DJ Moore has had a uh, coming out party this season, and Calvin Ridley's been a stud since his uh, drafting with the Atlanta Falcons. So again, 31, you take Sony Michelle. He's got a career 2,016 yards, 14 touchdowns. He was pretty instrumental in your 2018 championship, uh, but hasn't really done much for you lately. Four picks later, same position, running back. Browns take Nick Chubb. He's got 2,825 yards and 20 touchdowns. Oh, by the way, he went to the same college as Sony Michelle. 
clearly the better option. 800 more yards, six more touchdowns. That's basically a full season better, and they've been drafted only four picks apart. So Andy Michelle is a bust. I think that uh, the fact that he's been on IR and can't get out there on the field is an indictment on uh, on where Belichick see his, sees him as a player. He's was okay his rookie year, sophomore year, took a step back. We all know Belichick believes heavily in the second year jump. That didn't happen for Michelle, and now he's barely out there in 2020. So we'll go to the 2019 draft. Patriots first round pick, 32nd overall, Nikhil Harry. He's a wide receiver out of Arizona State, has a career of 277 yards, three touchdowns. I'm going to run through five wide receivers taken after Nikhil Harry. Number 36 in the NFL draft, four picks behind Nikhil Harry. Debo Samuel, uh, San Francisco 49ers, 987 yards, four touchdowns on his career. Titans, 51st overall pick. A.J. Brown, 1,407 yards, 13 career touchdowns. Chiefs, 56th overall pick. Mecole Hardman, 885 yards, nine touchdowns. This one hurts the most. Seahawks, 64th pick. The 32 picks after Nikhil Harry, DK Metcalf, 1,580 yards, 14 touchdowns on the Seattle Seahawks. In that draft, the Patriots also took Chase Winovich and Damian Harris in the third round. And then you get to the 2020 NFL draft, and it's hard to determine exactly how those guys are going to turn out. The Patriots took uh, Kyle Duggar. They took uh, Josh Uche, and they took a couple of tight ends in the third round. Um, Asi Asi, and geez, I can't even remember the other guy's name. He hasn't. They're, they're healthy scratches every week. You know, these guys aren't playing. So people are critical of Bill Belichick. That's why in his drafting. That's why the Red, the Red Sox, I keep thinking Red Sox. That's why the Patriots are in the place that they're in because they haven't been able to address holes that they knew were coming. They haven't been able to dress the tight end. They haven't been able to go for a wide receiver. And the one time they do, the one time Bill Belichick takes a wide receiver in the first round, it's a bust. The guy's got 277 yards when, you know, everyone else has almost four times that. I don't understand how people keep giving Belichick a pass. You have to separate the coach and the general manager. As a coach, Bill Belichick is the single greatest head coach in the history of the National Football League, could be in the history of professional sports. Bill Belichick, the general manager who's in charge of acquiring players, developing, drafting, he is horrible, especially in the last five or six years. Who was his best draft picks in the last five years? I said 2016 Joe Tooney. I think he was picked in the third round somewhere in the 70s. Joe Tooney was your best draft pick in the last five to six years. Oh, by the way, you had to franchise tag him for $15 million this season, and it looks like he's gone in free agency this year. He's not going to be a part of your team moving forward. So your best draft pick is an offensive lineman who you had to franchise tag and isn't going to be around past this season. You can't have that happen 
and expect to win in the consistently in the NFL. You cannot have bad drafting, let alone six years of it. So what do you expect the Patriots to do when they're not, you know, adding good players when older players, you know, either walk away or retire? You've had no contingency plan for Rob Gronkowski. He retires, and, and you're left flailing with guys like Ryan Izzo bringing, trying to lure Ben Watson back. You know, you know, Tom Brady wants this extended contract. You don't really want to give it to him, blah, 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 blah. You don't address it. You took, like, Danny Etling in, like, the sixth round or something like that. He gets cut, and you bring back Jared Stidham in the fourth round, and that guy throws you know, more interceptions than he does completions, basically. I know that's not true, but it seems like it. Uh, try this. He's the second fastest player in the NFL to have four interceptions in his career. The only guy who threw four interceptions quicker was Nathan Peterman for the Buffalo Bills. So wide receiver, Julian Edelman, he's getting old. He was Super Bowl MVP in 2018, and He's been injury prone. He's getting slammed across the middle as a slot receiver with these linebackers just killing him. You trade for a guy like you trade a first round pick for a guy in uh, Brandon Cooks. You end up flipping him for another first round pick. You end up going with a guy like Nikhil Harry when I just named five other wide receivers that have been substantially better. Again, you take you take Sony Michelle on the first round, pick number thirty one. Nick Chubb was there. Four picks later, he's taken. That guy's got 800 more yards, six more touchdowns than Michelle does in his career. And oh, by the way, you, you could argue Damian Harris is your best draft pick in the last couple years. And he was a running back you took in the third or fourth round last year or two years ago. So you used a first-round pick on a running back. You didn't even get the best running back. And oh, by the way, you later draft a better running back in a lower round. Like, it just... It's just awful. So for for Patriots fans to sit here and say, oh, Cam Newton sucks and, you know, Brady leaving really screwed the Pats. No, Bill Belichick's drafting and, and personnel decisions screwed the Patriots. He didn't plan for guys retiring. He didn't hit on any of his draft picks other than a tackle in Joe Tooney, who, again, you had a franchise tag, $15 million for your uh, guard. I mean, come on. And now you're left with uh, trying to hit a home run on a washed-up MVP quarterback in Cam Newton that has absolutely nothing to throw to, nothing to hand the ball off to, and he's getting completely exposed for the lack of talent around him. People want to bring up the Jimmy Garoppolo situation. You could put any quarterback on the Patriots. They don't have more than four wins this year. You, you you couldn't convince me that this team is is good enough to win with guys like uh, Jacoby Myers and guys like you know D- Demir Bird, Ryan Izzo being your you know your best skill position players. I mean, come on! Just last week, the Patriots had no wide receivers active for the game that were drafted. I know that sounds weird to think. Every Patriots wide receiver that played last Sunday in Buffalo were undrafted. 
How does that even happen? So there's no easy fix. And I think the best thing the Patriots can do is get a high draft pick, play some young talent to get a high. I'm not saying go out there and lose on purpose, but play your young players, give guys opportunities to get extended playing time who are going to be cornerstones of your team and cut dead weight that aren't going to be here for the future. And Belichick doesn't choose to do this. Trade deadline comes and goes. Guys like Tooney, again, $15 million. You don't trade him. You know he's going to leave in free agency unless you want to franchise tag him again, which I don't think you want to do. Stefan Gilmore puts his house on the market, uh, wants more money, demanded more money this year. He's He's got one year left in his contract, and uh, that's going to not go well because he's going to want to get paid again. So you know he's not going to want to be around. You keep him. And you trade a seventh-round pick for some Isaiah Ford with the Miami Dolphins. You, you All you do is bring in a player, again, a, a wide receiver that no one's ever heard of, and you, and you use a draft pick on I'm not saying a seventh-round draft pick you're going to hit on, but uh, I, I do wonder why you're forfeiting picks when you, know, you should be selling players, not acquiring them. So, okay, you don't want to sell Gilmore and, and, and Tooney. You don't think you're going to get the right price for them. All right, you can convince me that. You can't convince me that Cam Newton should be starting another game for the Patriots. Jared Stidham has not shown you anything. I already just told you, fastest player to throw four picks besides Nathan Peterman in the entire history of the NFL. That being said, you use a draft pick on him. You've allowed him to have a roster spot for the last two years. You've given everyone else a chance including Brian Hoyer, to start a game, why not give Stidham the opportunity to have a full week of practice, game plan around him, get reps with the ones, instead of just sticking him in in the third quarter, fourth quarter, saying, oh, mop-up duty. That's not fair to a young player who uh, needs to experience preparation and practice the Patriots talk about practice more than any other team oh we go over this in practice well we got to practice better why don't you let Jared Stidham practice like he's the number one option at quarterback and then give him a start I don't think Cam Newton should be on your roster next year I don't think Brian Hoyer should be on your roster next year so the only guy that I'm not sure about is Stidham how are you going to tell if Stidham can play you put him in starting positions so you can actually see what he has. Again, giving him a drive or two in the fourth quarter doesn't tell you anything about Jared Stidham. It, it wouldn't for most quarterbacks. I think a week of preparation, game planning, would go a long way for a young, a young quarterback. And oh, by the way, he's your last link to Tom Brady. Jared Stidham sat behind Tom Brady all of last year given it wasn't Brady's best season, but he was still in that quarterback room with him, seeing how he approached the Patriots system, how he prepared for games. And that's your last link. So if you want the quote-unquote heir apparent to Tom Brady, he's the last link. Any guy you bring in, I guess unless it's Jimmy G, but that's a conversation for another day. But any other one, anyone else you draft, they won't be 
heirs to Tom Brady. Stidham still had that season with Brady. So if you want to have any sort of uh, resemblance of understanding what it was like when Brady was here, he's the guy to go to. And I, and I also just don't think Cam Newton deserves it anymore. You don't, you don't have, you don't owe Cam Newton anything. You don't have to start him. I think Cam Newton was a, a shot in the dark. He was a, 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 an attractive name. You hear Cam Newton, you think MVP, you know, running around, throwing tight spirals, uh, making defenders look silly, juking them out, everything like that. Basically, he was the antithesis to Brady. Brady was a statue in the quarterback would throw the ball short if the play wasn't there he would either you know slide down or just throw it at someone's feet cam newton is rolling out of the pocket improvising chucking the ball 50 yards in the air uh like i said you know juking out defenders he he was the opposite of brady and i was excited for that i didn't want uh uh, an, an imposter brady leading the patriots i wanted someone new someone different and that's cam newton and you just didn't get that. You you got washed up Cam Newton. You got, you know, blown out his shoulders and, and crappy fundamentals Cam Newton. Can't make the right decision Cam Newton. How about uh, gonna blow the game Cam Newton? All Cam Newton's done for you is beat the Miami Dolphins in a game where he threw for under 200 yards. And then he beat the Las Vegas Raiders in a game where he through for under 200 yards his other three losses on the season were games where he had the ball to tie or win the game in the fourth quarter on the final drive and did not deliver week two against the seahawks he gets stuffed at the goal line when the patriots were down by six points in the broncos game uh, right after having COVID-19, he was uh, fourth down, overthrows uh, Nikhil Harry, and was down by eight points, needed to score a touchdown two-point conversion to tie that game. He's unable to do that. And last week, it's 24-21 in the fourth quarter. Cam Newton has the ball, drives the Patriots down to the red zone, and what does he do? Fumbles. He doesn't have the it factor. You know, I understand that he doesn't have good pieces around him, and I think that that's all on Belichick for not getting better players and not having quality position players, skill position players. But Cam Newton also isn't doing anything to help his case. He's he's not accurate. He can't make decisions. He's holding the ball way too long. It looks like his fundamentals are gone. Any Anybody who was talking about, oh, Josh McDaniels is going to cure Cam Newton, that's not the case. And it seems like the Patriots are still loyal to him. He's he, Cam Newton is our starter. He's the best player we have. You don't know if he's the best player you have because you haven't given Jared Stidham a chance. Fun fact, if Jared Stidham was to go out there, throw for 200 yards and a touchdown, that would be better than what Cam Newton's done in the last month. Yeah, that's a fact. One touchdown, 200 yards, and that's the best, that is better than Cam Newton's done since week two. So the bar's already low for for Stidham. And I think the season, the, the season, I think the week to start Stidham was this week. You're playing the, you've, you're playing on Monday night, so it's an extra day to prepare for Stidham. And oh, by the way, you're playing the 0-7 Jets. There's no easier opponent in the National Football League 
to play, let alone on your schedule. To give Stidham an opportunity to go out against lesser competition, full week of practice, plus an extra day because it's Monday night, and Belichick still is going with Cam Newton. Look, the season's over. You're two and five. The the Buffalo Bills are six and two. Even Miami's four and three. So you are well away from even being five hundred, let alone competing for your division. Even though the NFL expanded their uh, playoff uh, format to have another team in each conference, you're not going to win that either. You know, the just in the AFC North, you're probably going to have three teams come out between. Um, well, at least two with the Steelers and the, um, God, I'm blanking on them, the Baltimore Ravens. Then you've got, you know, the Indianapolis Colts are doing pretty well. You have the Cleveland Browns that are doing pretty well. Uh, again, these are teams that these teams are like six and two, you know, five and four, whatever. You're two and five. So, I mean, you're several games away from these guys. Uh, it looks like you've got a long way to go to even be a wild card team. That's not going to happen. But oh, we need to start Cam Newton. No, we need to we need to start Cam Newton. It just doesn't make sense to me. But you know, I guess that's why they pay Belichick the undisclosed amount of money they do to make these kind of roster decisions. Uh, they pay him to draft, and he can't do that. They they give him the all of the power you could ever have as a head coach. You you choose who we bring in. You choose you know who we trade, who we draft, who starts, and. Uh, you know, Belichick is really showing that maybe Brady was the the key to the last six Super Bowls, 20 years of dominance. He's souring for a lot of fans in New England, and including me. And here's the here's one thing that I keep grappling with myself, and I'm sure Patriots fans out there agree. Even if the Patriots get a top 10 draft pick this year, I have absolutely no confidence that they will turn that pick into a quality contributing player. A top 10 pick needs to be a franchise cornerstone. I understand that that's not always going to happen. You're not getting 10 franchise players every single year in the draft. But if it's your first time picking in the top 10 in like 20 years, you have to hit on that pick you can't afford to have another sony michelle Nikhil harry you need you need a stud whether it's on defense whether it's at wide receiver whether it's at quarterback i don't care you need an impact player that isn't going to take a long time to develop you don't have you know three years to to, to bring this guy along he's going to have to be a, a a rookie of the year candidate and, and definitely by his second season, you know, all pro. That's what Patrick Mahomes was. Uh, that's what Aaron Rodgers was. You know, they, well, Aaron Rodgers spent a couple seasons behind Favre, I get that. But, you know, you, you had Mahomes sat there on the bench, you know, watched Alex Smith for a year, comes the next year and 50 touchdowns or whatever it is. And I'm not saying you need to go get Patrick Mahomes. He's one in a million. But you need an impact player. I don't, I don't care what you choose to go with if it's defense i understand because the defense is thin if it's wide receiver okay just go get somebody that's going to be a contributor don't get someone that's going to be out of the league in five years like some of your other draft picks and that's that's really all there is to it you know play your young players 
I'm not saying lose games on purpose, but give Stidham the chance. You should have traded Gilmore and let J.C. Jackson get some reps at number one corner because that's a guy that uh, might be a part of your franchise for the next three or four seasons, and Gilmore isn't. You know, but before Edelman was hurt, and I think you should let Edelman take the surgery, rest, because you need to give guys like Jacoby Myers, Gunnar Olszewski, give these guys time to, you know, prove that they deserve to be on your roster in the future. But, you know, how are they supposed to do that when they're playing in the shadow of these old guys that don't want to either be here or don't deserve to be playing? Cam Newton doesn't deserve to be playing. Uh, Stephon Gilmore doesn't want to be here. So make the switch. You might lose some games this year, but that's only going to help you get a better draft pick. It's also going to help you evaluate the current roster and see what positions you need to address. And it's going to allow you to have some better decision-making when it comes to uh, you know, extending players, signing players, because if Gilmore wants money, and you realize, eek, uh, we don't have anyone that can even remotely play decent. You know, if you traded Gilmore, you don't have to worry about paying him. You can go put that money towards other things or trade for a draft pick and use that to fill a hole. But now it's like, well, we're still going to pay Stefan Gilmore and he's going to, you know, probably hold out in preseason of next year. So we might have to extend him more money at a position that, you know, we like J.C. Jackson. We think he could take the role, but we'll never know because Gilmore's, you know, the defensive player of the year and he needs to play. Like, no, you should have traded him. I'm sorry. But the the, the Patriots are, are, you know, where I... Uh, they're the at the worst possible uh, scenario when you were telling me what was going to happen with the Patriots in the post-Brady era. They're in the worst possible scenario. Glaring holes, um, excuses being made by the head coach, no prospering young talent. Who's the best young player on the Patriots right now? You know, who's the best player on the Patriots that's still on their rookie deal? The fact that that question isn't uh, easily answered goes to show you why the Patriots are 2-5 and and why it's not a gimme that you're going to beat New York this week. So moving on, the the Patriots, you know, uh, they're the only team playing right now. So of course they're going to dominate the news cycle, and and deservingly so because they they've been so successful the last twenty years that now it's time to get a little uh, critical of them. If you've if you've been questioning Belichick the last twenty years, but you know, well we've we've been winning, so I guess I have to hold my tongue. Nope, you don't have to do that anymore. Patriots are one of the worst teams in the league. Tom Brady's lighting it up down in Tampa. Looks like uh, Brady is going to win this Belichick-Brady who's more important battle, uh, which I I think was frivolous to even have anyways. But besides the point, seems like there's going to be some serious uh, questioning of Bill Belichick in the next year or so, especially with how this draft goes. So moving on to the uh, other team that's not playing, that would be playing right now, the uh, Boston Celtics. A little bit of news here, and then that'll wrap it up. Uh, Gordon Hayward has rumored to not want to play for the Celtics anymore. Whether that's re- opting out to re-sign with another team, 
or opting in, but then having the Celtics immediately trade him somewhere. I, I'm not sure how it would go down, but he does. He there's rumblings that he's not happy in in Boston anymore, and I think for a long time, Celtics fans haven't been happy with him. And a lot of it's due to things you can't control. You can't control gruesome injuries. You can't control uh, someone's leg snapping the first five minutes of their four-year contract with your team. So I don't blame Hayward for not necessarily working out. But I will gladly move him, especially if he's vocal about wanting to leave. Uh, There's not a lot of value that you're getting for his, you know, close to $30 million a year contract. You know, uh, again, you, you sign him. It's this great reunion between, you know, Coach Brad Stevens and Hayward. They, they were at Butler together. Hayward spends his first year, a uh, couple years in the league with the Utah Jazz. It's poised to uh, be the one of the pieces of the puzzle. You're bringing in Kyrie, you bring in Hayward. It's excitement, everything like that. And the worst thing happens, he, he gets injured. Well, the plan was supposed to be Hayward comes back and just assumes his role as the as the starting everyday small forward slash shooting guard. The problem is, in his absence, that first season of his contract, Jalen Brown really emerges as one of the better players, young players in the league. Jason Tatum comes out, plays like he's been in the league forever. And then as the years go on, those guys seem to elevate their game every year, even more. And now Jason Statham's a bona fide star. You know, I'm not going to call him superstar, but he's a star in the league, Jason Tatum is. And Jalen Brown is proving that uh, he deserves minutes out there on the on the court. He's the third best player on the team. And yet Brad Stevens has been trying to inject Gordon Hayward into the offense, trying to give him minutes that maybe he doesn't deserve because again you're paying him close to 30 million dollars you can't have a 30 million dollar guy logging like six minutes a night that's not going to work so it just seems like there's almost a log jam on the celtics roster especially you know at the at the two and the three you've got great shooters you've got great defenders and gordon hayward doesn't really fall in line with either of that you know especially when you look at how his contract is compared to guys like Jalen Brown. Um, You know, the fact that he's only aging and he's only going to, you know, continue to lose parts of his game where guys like Jalen Brown are going to develop. And I just just don't see why the Celtics want to keep him around, especially that he's showing interest in leaving. I think the return is going to be probably not beneficial i don't think you're going to go out and get another max player um uh, there's talk that you could get victor oladipo from the indiana pacers uh there's talks that maybe atlanta would just sign him to a deal that you know ultimately hayward doesn't even opt in he opts out and goes and signs a, a big contract with a team like that i don't care what the scenario is i don't need to get anything back if you gave me uh just just the salary cap relief from Gordon Hayward's $30 million year contract. Just give me the relief of not having to pay that. And oh, by the way, giving me more minutes to give to Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. That That's that's fine. That's a win for the Celtics right there. 
if you end up getting a, a draft pick or or you end up getting a player like Oladipo, I mean, that's icing on the cake. I would almost just trade him for cash, cash considerations. <laughs> I don't care. The, the guy, his best season in Boston was last year. He averaged 17.5 points per game. That would be, uh, that's in his final three seasons with the he, uh, Utah Jazz, he was averaging 19 points, uh, 19 points in 21. So, and those are the three seasons before his injury. After his injury, he's he averaged 11 points and then 17. So he's trending upwards. Uh, I can understand that, that he is getting better as more time goes on from that horrific leg injury. Uh, but when you look at the fact that Jalen Brown's averaging 20 points a game last year, Jason Tatum, again, averaging over 20 points, there's just no room for Gordon Hayward. And I was always uh, looking at what's his body language on the court how does he communicate with his with his teammates and i'm going to give gordon hayward a lot of credit with what he did during this past nba bubble he his wife is pregnant uh, with their first son he's got three daughters he's really wanted a son there's been all these videos and stuff with the gender reveal parties and every time it's a girl it's it's kind of funny you see the look on his face there's that famous oh you know is daddy happy daddy's always happy with his third daughter announcement he finally gets a son. His, his uh, finally gets a boy. That's so exciting. And it's the middle of a pandemic, and it's scary. And his wife probably wants him by his side. So at the beginning of the of the bubble, he was very vocal about the fact that the birth of his son is going to impact the playoffs. Whenever it was going to happen, was was set to be during the the playoffs. And then he was going to go home to be with his wife and be there for the birth of his son. And I hold that. I, I would never hold that against him. Well, as things work out, he ends up getting injured, misses the first two playoff series, and he's in the Eastern Conference Finals. So he went home to see his wife. She was still pregnant at the time. And he decides to come back. And he says, you know what? Uh, I'm going to miss the birth of my son, and I'm going to come try to win a championship for the Boston Celtics. That was very commendable. I, I, I was shocked to see that. I gained a lot of respect for Gordon Hayward. Uh he put the team first over his private life, something that I would never ask a player to do, and proved to be, uh, 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 in that moment, a leader. I still don't want him on the... <laughs> I'm sorry, I still don't want him on the team next year. If he's vocal about leaving and wanting to have a, a bigger role with a younger team, potentially uh, uh, go back to Indiana where he's from, or you know, go sign to, to play with a young player like Trey Young, that all, you know all power to you let's make this happen because he's taking minutes away from great young talent here he's never going to be worth his 30 million dollar contract and it seems like uh, it's just not it's just never going to work out brad stevens will never be able to concoct the right amount of minutes and roster adjustments to to get gordon hayward uh, back to being a, a 20 point game scorer. and not that you need him to be on the celtics but Every shot that Hayward shoots, I'm thinking in my head, that could be Jalen Brown. And I just, I don't want to do that anymore. So uh, if he wants a bigger role, first of all, he deserves it. He's put a lot of time into rehabbing his leg, and I'm sure he doesn't want to play, you know, sixth man on the, on the Celtics. He'd rather be an everyday starter for a team that might need him more than the Celtics do. So it makes sense. Um, but if the Celtics can get 
even if they get nothing in return, I think it's, you know, sorry to say, but it's a little bit of addition by subtraction, more minutes to younger players, you know, less salary going to a bench guy and, uh, you know, frees up some cap space. Maybe you can go sign a, a nice big man. I'm not saying he needs to be a max contract player, but even go get someone that can protect the rim rebound. That's going to do more for you than Gordon Hayward's, you know, uh, $30 million to come off the bench. So the only team we didn't talk about is the Bruins. There hasn't been a lot of, of news. Like I said, hockey is still unsure about their start date. There's no, uh, there's no real concrete training camp and everything like that. There's no plan. Are we playing in arenas? Are we going to do a bubble? It seems like they're going to want to do an arena, uh, have teams play at their home arenas. Fans in the stands is still a question. That's going to kind of probably be like the NFL where it's going to be on a state-by-state basis. Uh, but but since the last episode, nothing new with, with contracts, really. They, they made a couple moves, signed some guys to, like, small deals. But ultimately, uh, no no big-name for agent came in. And other than Tory Krug, who was already gone in the previous episode, uh, there hasn't been any big guy to, to leave. So it, it's kind of weird. I'd be watching hockey right now. I'd be watching basketball and neither of those things are happening so it's a very weird time to be a boston sports fan but Cora's back the pats suck and uh you've got nothing else to watch besides the nfl so with that being said uh this was the second episode of the 617 sports podcast uh, you can read some articles uh, i'll do little predictions before you know big games it'll be on it's on www. 617 inquirer.wordpress uh, there's a twitter account at 617 inquirer and that'll be sparing updates trade rumors stuff like that a podcast you know once a week or so is only going to be can, can only get so much breaking news out there so that'll be a little bit more up to date and you know enjoy the warm weather this weekend monday night patriots play at Gillette, at uh metlife stadium against the jets should be the worst game you watch like i said so we'll see we'll see maybe this is the this is the game that either finally cam newton looks like an mvp or it's the 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 final game that cam newton starts for the patriots we'll see but this was the 617 uh, sports podcast thank you guys for listening and until next next time adios